Welcome to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Blasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am your host, Christine Blasdale. And today we are launching part three of our interview with a master narcissist series with H.G. Tudor, who is a narcissistic psychopath. H.G. has written extensively about the dark art of narcissism for many years and shares these ongoing revelations at his website, narcsite.com. Before we begin today's show, I'd like to mention that if you are a victim of a narcissist or believe you could be, please listen to our two previous interviews. Links to those shows will accompany this program so that you have access to all three in the series. It is also imperative that you share not only this interview, but the others as well with friends and family, as there is a very good chance that someone you know, in addition to yourself, has suffered at the hands of a narcissist. I want to also mention that this interview is for the sole purpose of healing the heart and minds of victims and does not in any way condone the destruction that narcissists deliver to their victims. Also, a quick warning for those of you whose lives have been devastated or destroyed by these people, this program may trigger you. It may bring up painful emotions that are difficult to deal with. If at any time this is too much for you, please turn off the interview and come back at a later time when you are able to fully hear what is being discussed. The goal of this program is to help you identify the narcissist in your life, their patterns and their tactics, and ultimately to help you be free once and for all of these emotional vampires. With that said, I want to welcome back to the show H.G. Tudor. In addition to his website, narcsite.com, he also can be found at Knowing the Narcissist on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. H.G. is a narcissistic psychopath who is also a leading resource for people to understand the way that narcissists think and operate in order to enable them to escape and beat the narcissist by knowing the narcissist. He's written over 45 books on the subject, hundreds of articles, and operates a blog which has well over 15 million hits, and he has assisted hundreds of thousands of people and has been described as the world's number one authority on narcissism. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome H.G. back to the show. H.G. Tudor, it's been quite a while, what, like two and a half years, I think, by my calculations, since the last time I had you on. Welcome back. That's right. Thank you very much, Christine. It's a pleasure to be invited back on again. Yes, and as I was um, saying there in the introduction, obviously, uh, the subject matter of narcissism and narcissists is quite popular, you have over 15 million hits on your blog. And I will say the first program that we did has well over 250,000 views on YouTube at this moment. It's mm-hmm. growing every day. Uh, the second one is close behind. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of narcissists. There's a lot of you out there, isn't there? Well, there's only one of me naturally, but there's a lot <laughs> of my kind out there. Absolutely. And it's far greater than people uh, realize because they're maintained a um, misperception as to what narcissists are there's many people that just don't have the information to recognize what our kind are and there is a failing in that there is this common perception that the narcissist is your alpha male eats what he kills jim bunny grandiose show off Mm. and that's just one flavor and what Two of the biggest problems that arise are, first of all, society as a whole dilutes and euphemizes a lot of the behaviors of our kind and calls it something else. And popular television and uh, 
mass media, uh, radio programs, uh, social media, portray our behavior and call it something else. And that is dangerous for people, helps us, enables us to move amongst you very readily without people realizing until it's too late. But it causes huge amounts of confusion. And the other aspect of it is that when people are ensnared by us, there are particular types of people who are far more susceptible to ensnarement than others. And because of that, their mind is affected in a way that causes them to possibly see the problem, but not see it clearly and continue to engage with us in some form to their detriment, although they think that what they're doing is sensible. And I refer to that as the concept of emotional thinking, which is something we may touch on later on in the discussion. But in short, there's lots of us. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and, it, and, and it's not just the male, um, although would you say that there's a predominance of, of men that are narcissists versus women? I know that there are both. But I'd say, say it's, I'd say it's roughly, roughly equal. And again, the difficulty is, is it, it's the identification. Uh, male narcissists tend to be easier to spot in the conventional sense. Um, but uh, in my experience, and of course there's no surveys that would support all of this, it's just based on one's experience. But having been in and around my kind and know my kind inside out for a number of years, uh, the anecdotal experience is that the numbers are roughly equal between the genders. And for those who are just brand new to this word and to this subject matter, um, what is a narcissist and are there different levels mm -hmm. of a narcissist? A narcissist is somebody who suffers from uh, narcissistic personality disorder as defined by uh, the DSM, the uh, psychiatric uh, manual. That obviously has been compiled by a body and on a particular scientific basis and naturally has a validity. What it doesn't do, however, is go far enough in explaining the various uh, flavors of the behaviors that occur. In essence, a narcissist is someone who has no emotional empathy, may exhibit grandiosity, but that's not always there, is manipulative, in most cases, doesn't see that they are manipulative, doesn't see that they're grandiose, sometimes does, but most narcissists are actually blinded to their behavior. These individuals may be haughty. There's always a lack of accountability, but again, that will manifest in different ways. There are key elements of what I call the narcissistic dynamic. But again, there are variances dependent upon where you fit in with that. But essentially, it's regarded as a disorder because our way of behavior doesn't fit in with the norm of society. And people on the receiving end of it whether it's romantic, whether it's social, familial, in a business sense, or uh, a neighbor, will find that the individual concerned engages in a course of behavior which is problematic. And the extent of that problem really does vary upon the nature of your ensnarement and the type of narcissist you're involved with. But it could be matters so serious as being raped, physically assaulted, having money taken from you, or somebody who drifts in and out of your life without uh, explanation or excuse. Somebody who makes huge demands on you and is always having you running around doing things for them but never lifts a finger for you. Uh, it may be an individual that calls you names, somebody always belittles you, never thanks you or gives you any support in terms of what you do. So there's a huge range of manifestations of this behavior and in terms of levels if you've mentioned, I categorize it in a lexicon to make it understandable for people in terms of lessers, mid-range, and greater. And there are subdivisions within each of those as well. Uh, to go into all of that would take a very long time because there's different characteristics and traits. And the important thing really is for people to uh, analyze the relationship they have. And most of the time this comes up in a romantic sense because that's where the greatest impact is felt, um, that if you are with an individual whose behaviors are causing you to become hurt, upset, puzzled, bewildered, or you just feel that you are less of a person, that raises a question mark. Healthy people don't behave that way. It doesn't mean that person's necessarily a narcissist, but it should raise a question. And if you're in any doubt about it, come and read my work 
or you can consult with me, and I will assist you in determining whether this individual is a narcissist or not. And there's huge benefits from knowing one way or the other. But the point is, those early indicators are, for instance, many people say to me, HG, um, this individual calls me names. Is he a narcissist? And I always explain, well, you can't make a decision based upon one behavior. It's merely an indicator. It's not determinative. What one has to look at is a range of behaviors over Correct. a period of time and see a pattern. Empaths also, empathic people also have self-regulation in that they will put themselves in the shoes of the other individual. So for instance, if they found a wallet lying on the floor in the street and they picked it up and thought about, oh, I could take the money, they would go, well, I wouldn't like it if somebody did this to me and didn't return my wallet. And also, well, I shouldn't take the money because actually that's stealing. So with some people, think about taking it, they would hand it in at the police station. With others, it's a case of they think about it and they self-regulate. Those individuals, those are healthy responses. A disordered individual would pick up the wallet without any concern, pocket it. And if somebody said to that person, well, shouldn't you hand it in? The individual who's disordered, who's a narcissist, would turn around and say, well, they've lost it. It's their problem, not mine. Or, well, my need is greater than theirs. Or, oh, I am going to hand it in at the police station, but then doesn't go and do it. Because that individual has no emotional empathy for the person that has lost the wallet. So what people have got to look at is a range of behaviors over time. But if you think something's not quite right here, then that is a red flag and you should have regard to it. The problem is that people spot red flags but don't act on them. Why? They don't have access to the information and they receive the wrong information because there's a hell of a lot of it out there. So for instance, somebody who incessantly text messages you each and every day throughout the day, that is not a healthy behavior. Why? It shows a sense of entitlement on the part of the person who's sending those text messages to you. It shows poor boundary recognition. They don't leave you alone. It shows a lack of accountability for the behavior. I'll just keep texting and it doesn't matter what the response is. It also means that they're exerting control and that's what narcissism is all about. It's about controlling our environments and everybody in them. So somebody who's incessantly texting you, but even though they're texting you lovely things and paying you compliments, the fact is, that is not a healthy behavior, but people fall for it because what they think is, oh, well, yeah, it might be a little bit excessive, but he's just really into me. It's, this is exciting yeah. that he's so passionate about things. No, a healthy person doesn't behave that way. You're likely being love-bombed by a narcissist. That behavior in itself, I underline, does not mean that it's a narcissist, but it's a significant indicator. And then you need to look at the range of behaviors. So it's a case of where you exhibit experience a behavior. If you are given cause to question it, then you need to read further into it and listen to the instincts that you've got. Now, in the early stages of being seduced by a narcissist, many people completely fail to either see and or adhere to the red flags. Why? Because it's so good. It's so exciting. And most people... It's when things start to go wrong that they perhaps start to question things. But what they do is they invariably end up attributing the behavior of the narcissist to some third party event or they blame themselves. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the, the type of people that we ensnare are usually empaths. Empaths have this trait of self-flagellation. A normal person can get ensnared by a narcissist, but generally what happens is this. When we start to devalue that individual, the normal person goes, well, sod this for a game of soldiers. This guy's a jerk. I'm out of here. Why? Because the normal person will have some empathy, but they are not addicted to the two narcissists, so they will walk away. Whereas empathic people have an addiction to us, and they struggle very, very badly, like any addict does, to give up the very thing that they're addicted to. And rather than think, this chap rings me up whenever it suits him, and whenever I call him, it's never convenient. <laughs> he disappears for periods of time. I send him text messages and he never replies to them. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he wants to meet up with me. I feel like I'm being picked up and put down. And I feel like I'm being used. Highly likely, you're, you're being ensnared, you're ensnared with a narcissist. But what happens is, rather than think, that kind of treatment is unacceptable. I am not going to tolerate that. Um, this chap might be a narcissist, or even if you don't know that label, it's as simple as this. 
I'm not being treated properly. I'm not going to put up with it. What the empath does is, I need to find out why I'm being treated like this exactly. because empaths are truth seekers or I need to fix this situation. Why? Because empaths are healers and fixers. Or maybe there's something wrong with him that's making him behave this way. Have I done something to offend him? The empathic trait of guilt. Or maybe he's just really shy and I should perhaps be a bit more considerate towards him. The empathic trait of compassion. And your emotional thinking gets hold of these empathic traits and also in certain instances, narcissistic traits, because empaths have narcissistic traits as well, and it corrupts them. And what it does is it makes you think that this person is perhaps damaged and in need of your help. Well, yes, they're damaged, but they certainly don't need your help because they can't be fixed. And you don't need to get to the bottom of, of why it is by speaking to this individual because you won't get a straight answer because the narcissist instinctively wants to keep you ensnared and keep you in the game keep you in the narcissist fuel matrix. And so what happens is you as an empath often spot the behavior and think, well, something's going wrong. You're not so stupid as to realize I'm being treated badly. The individual will say, rather than them say, I'm not putting up with this anymore, it's disgusting and it's dis disrespectful. They will try to get to the bottom of the behaviors and find out what's wrong, try and fix them, or they'll blame themselves and think, maybe I've done something. Because empathic people, always want to get an answer for behaviors. And there is an answer. You're dealing with a narcissist, but invariably they won't know that, or if they kind of understand that that's the case, they don't fully understand what that means because they don't have access to the right information. And even when they do, their emotional thinking doesn't want them to apply that knowledge. It doesn't want them to apply the understanding and get away from the narcissist. The emotional thinking, wants the empath to keep engaging with the narcissist and it's crafty and it's conniving and it will cause people to think that they need to go and get answers from the narcissist when actually they don't and they will think that that's a sensible thing because the emotional thinking gets you doing things which aren't logical but makes you think that they are that's how crafty it is and so empathic individuals rather than just turn around and walk away or say i'm not putting up with this anymore remain invested and they uh, self-flagellate, blame themselves, they try and work things out, and they fall prey to all of these euphemisms and platitudes that are racing around in society, which are, just give him some space and he'll come to you. Or, if he really loves you, let him go and he'll, he'll return to you. Or, well, it's possibly that he's got commitment issues. Well, damn right he has, he's a narcissist, so he will never connect with you. But that's not the point. All of these phrases that get banded around obscure it all. And victims are conned into taking these phrases and applying them to what is a disordered relationship, thinking that there is some way through it. The number of times that I see material just in the day-to-day -day when I'm walking past a newsstand or I see something on the internet or something on the news, and there's someone saying, oh, you can heal this situation. And I just think, no, you can't. This person's ensnared with a narcissist and you are encouraging them to do something that borders from either downright stupid or utterly dangerous. And there are so many people out there who just do not understand this subject. No, and, and uh, there's so many people that, uh, that have become victims that it's obvious, I mean, it's obvious by the, the amount of people that are reaching out from the previous programs that we've done. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the subtitle of this program of Series 3 is How to Survive a Narcissistic Relationship. And, and I'm not mm -hmm. putting that in the context of how to stay in a narcissistic relationship and survive. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm talking about once you get out. And that's just from the previous times I've spoken to you. Mm -hmm. I know that your word of advice to people, if they believe they are in a narcissistic relationship, is to get out. And yes. this is where I want us to help people right now. Mm -hmm. um, um, some steps in once they've identified that the person that they are in a relationship with either in a romantic sexual relationship mm -hmm. or they find that they're married. Many people find that they're married to mm -hmm. a narcissist. Um, what are your, what, what would you say are some things that they can do or need to do immediately in order to get out? And, um, uh, we're not even going to touch on the subject of divorce yet, but just mm -hmm. to get out from that relationship and okay. um, not become the fuel of the narcissist that they're with. Okay. I created what's known as the first golden rule of freedom, which is once you know, you go. You get out and you stay out. Go so. 
that's what it's called. When you're told that this individual is a narcissist or when you've worked it out that they are a narcissist, that's it. You must, you must extract yourself from anything to do with that person across all spheres. And often people will say, well, it's easy to say, harder to do. True. But if you want to stay away from the person that is abusing you, in whatever form it takes, then you have to implement no contact. That means you do not spend time with this person, physically present with them. You don't talk to them on the telephone. You don't text message them. You don't social media message them. You don't go and look at that person's media, social media profiles to find out what they're doing. You ensure that they cannot access yours and post on them. You ensure that if this individual approaches your friends and family, you tell your friends and family, I don't want you to have anything to do with them. And if he, if he or she says, can you pass a message on, you don't do it. Don't even come and say, they've been in touch with me. I don't want to know. Do not sit, sit around reminiscing about what's happened, about this individual. You will, because of the golden period that we provide you with, have experienced a fantastic time. But it wasn't genuine. It was a honey trap designed to draw you in and to ensnare you. And all of those photos, the gifts, the videos, the emails, the poetry, the ballad that was sung to you when you stood on the balcony of your flat, all of that, you have to strike it from the record, burn it, delete it, exorcise it. And I set out how to do that in my book, Exorcism, which describes you how you must go through that purge. You have to ensure that every conduit between you and the narcissist is removed and a brick wall is built there. What makes it so hard is you have been engaging repeatedly with the narcissist up to this point. Your emotional thinking will be sky high. Your emotional thinking doesn't want you to get out. Logic says this, this person is a narcissist. That means they will continue to be abusive towards you. They will not change. And for the vast majority of narcissists, they don't know what they are. Therefore, there is nothing you can do to help or change this individual. They will not be made to see what they are. They will not change. Anything they say about having insight, you're being manipulated further. Anything they say about, but I can change, give me a chance, you're being manipulated. What's very difficult, of course, is when people's emotional thinking is that high, it obscures what they're hearing and makes them think that if, well, it's my mother, I can't go no contact with my mother because she's my mother. Wrong. She only has that label because she gave birth to you. She's not earned it by operating in a maternal way towards you. She is a narcissist. Remove the word mother, put narcissist there instead. I have to work with this guy. No, you don't. You can go and get another job. Why should I go and get another job? Because you want to get away from the narcissist. If you want to lose weight, you eat less and you exercise more. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't sit there and take no action. You have to do something. Now, of course, certain instances of getting into this position of walking away from the narcissist are indeed easier than others. If you've got children with a narcissist, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. And I've set out an assistance package about how to co-parent with a narcissist, which will help people. I also set out in terms of dealing with the divorce process and what to do. There are lots of ways that you can actually get away from the narcissist. And if you absolutely cannot, and it's a very high standard that I put to this, if you absolutely cannot, there are ways of ameliorating the effect, reducing the interaction with the individuals, putting in place gatekeepers, not going to certain places. It's interesting. I ran a poll on my uh, blog recently, Christine, which was all about asking people, how were you engaged with following the imposition of no contact. The top answer, I received a text message. You did not put no contact in place if the narcissist can text message you. The problem is so many people are conned by their emotional thinking into not imposing no contact because they think they can work it out or they think that they have to keep in contact. They think if I keep open my phone to him, that means he won't come round and see me. No, that's emotional thinking. If, for example, uh, uh, 
the individual says, um, I don't want a rom romantic relationship with this person anymore, but I want to be friends. No, that's emotional thinking. Anything that causes you to continue the engagement with the narcissist is emotional thinking. Will you have to make sacrifices? Yes, you will. And some are bigger than others. But that's what you have to do. Because if you continue to engage with us, we win. And if you think to yourself, oh, I've read everything that you've written, HG. I've got this under control. I can handle him. I can handle an artist. No, you can't. That's emotional thinking. If you think, well, I can, I can go grey rock with him and not give him any fuel. No, grey rock doesn't work. And that's the principle, in case people aren't familiar with it, of reducing your interaction when you're with the narcissist so you don't provide fuel. Fuel is my concept for your emotional output, which is what we feed on. So if you think to yourself, I need to go around and tell everybody what a douchebag this individual is. No, you don't, because you're continuing to engage. If you think to yourself, I'm going to take the narcissist down and ruin him. No because you're continuing to engage. Yes, if right. you continue to engage with the narcissist, you are going to impale yourself on what I call the devil's pitchfork. And you will have at least one, possibly three downsides. The first is, you will give us fuel. If you come round shouting the odds at the narcissist and telling what a P of S he is, and what a douchebag he is, and what an arsehole he's been, you're giving us fuel. It doesn't matter that you're angry. It doesn't matter that you're insulting us. You're giving us negative fuel. We'll lap it up. Love us, hate us, but never ignore us. So you'll be giving us fuel. And we are winning. If you engage with us, you run the risk of an adverse reaction. So if you come to talk to the narcissist and he tells you where to go, you get angry or upset. He might hit you. He might take something from you. If you are sat dwelling on the narcissist you make yourself angry or upset or sad so there's a downside because that's a form of interaction too many people think no contact means not spending time with the narcissist and not ringing him up it's way wider than that no contact means one you don't spend time with the narcissist physically N number two is no communications with the narcissist. So don't telephone the narcissist. Don't allow the narcissist to telephone you. No text messaging, no emails, no social media messaging. Number three, don't th do things for the narcissist. So don't go around collecting things for the narcissist. Don't take him his dry cleaning. And don't do things occasioned by the narcissist, which means don't be stalking the narcissist's Facebook profile. Four, don't spend your time talking to people about the narcissist. If you do that, you are unlikely to get the answers that you need from those people. Yes, in the immediate aftermath, you need a bit of emotional support. That's fair enough. But if you keep doing it, you're, you're engaging. Stop it. Don't talk with your family, your friends, the police, the school teachers, whoever it may be. Talk to me about it because there's a benefit from doing so. But talking to people who don't understand the subject, that's not going to help you. And five, don't spend time thinking about the narcissist. Of course, that's hard to do, and there are ways around that. But those five fingers of engagement, as I call them, you've got to stop them because all of them will cause you to be impaled on the devil's pitchfork. Some of them will mean you'll give us fuel. Some of them will mean that you will get an adverse reaction. But all of them drive up your emotional thinking. If you engage with us in any of those five ways, you cause your emotional thinking to rise. What does that mean? You will not listen to logic. You will not obey that first golden rule of freedom. You will keep, keep engaging with the narcissist, trying to sort things out or win or to get him back. Or you will say, well, he's gone off with her. What, what if she makes him happy? Or what if she gets all the good stuff? I want him back. This person is a narcissist. Cut out all of those five forms of engagement. And I'll show you how to do it. And the importance of of getting out is uh, we cannot un I underscore that how how important that is because I think for most people HG um, mm -hmm. and being a victim of of a narcissist I think that they have a real hard time number one thinking like who would do that because there is a love bomb phase you know we're we're talking mm -hmm. of course about the horrific things that um narcissists do to get their fuel your emotional fuel and we haven't gotten into triangulation and and uh, mm -hmm. and all of that but there is uh this honeymoon phase this love bombing mm -hmm. right where mm -hmm. 
a, a normal individual all of a sudden has someone who says, oh my gosh, you're my twin heart, you're my soulmate, uh, mm-hmm. I've never felt this way before, um, letters, love poems, mm-hmm. that, the sexual um, mm-hmm. uh, connection that all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person thinks that mm-hmm. I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And so mm-hmm. never, if you're an empath or not, we never think that someone would do this on purpose who is not truly feeling those emotions because mm-hmm. what kind of creature would do that? Well, exactly. Right? exactly. And what's happening is, of course, the empath is imposing their worldview on the behavior of the narcissist. Right. People have to understand that we look at the world completely differently to you. And understandably, you think that people operate to the same similar standards of behavior, moral framework, and general behaviors as you do. Variations on a theme, of course, but largely you think people will behave in a similar way. So you think, what kind of person would make all these declarations of love and then suddenly stop talking to me? Who the hell does that? Answer, a narcissist. But because the victim thinks, I wouldn't behave that way, they don't expect anybody else to behave that way. But here's the news. We do behave that way. And there are many millions of us. And you invariably, because you've been so invested in that relationship, rather than think to yourself, this person told me that I was absolutely wonderful and now has stopped speaking to me. They clearly don't think that I'm that wonderful, or do they? Otherwise, they wouldn't behave this way. That's logic. And then you go to the next stage, which would be, that must mean that if they can't maintain this behavior with me, what they showed me was false. Therefore, I've been duped by this individual. I don't like that. I'm staying away from them. That's the logical response. You don't even have to use the word narcissist there. You can just identify that if somebody's behaved like that towards you and then has stopped That is not good behavior. That is not healthy behavior. Therefore, you don't need to be with that person. But of course, empaths don't. Because what happens? Why why has he stopped being like that? I I want that back. Uh, What's going on? Has he met somebody else? Have I done something wrong? And of course, because of that addiction, the emotional thinking will kick in. Because all your emotional thinking wants you to do is engage with the narcissist. It is not interested in your physical well-being, your mental health your sexual health, the state of your bank balance. It wants you to get your fix of narcissist and it will do whatever it can to keep you in the game with us. So it will say to you, well, maybe he's done this because you were a little bit off with him last time you had a last had a date. And then, oh yeah, that sounds kind of sensible, doesn't it actually? That gives me, that gives me a peg to hang this behavior on. That must be it. I know. I'll ring him up and say, I'm really sorry. Was I a bit off with you last time we had the date? Mm-hmm. And of course, the narcissist is busy with somebody else. The reason he's not contacted you is you've been put on the shelf for the time being. And he's just not bothering with you because he's chasing somebody else. If this isn't, say, in the early stages of what's going on. And of course, you can't get hold of the narcissist rather than think, OK, I can't get hold of him. Well, I'm not going to waste my time and energy on this individual any longer because I've, I, I, I know my value. No, the empath. But why have, all of a sudden can I not get hold of him? Maybe he's had an accident or have, I must have done something wrong. What have I done to offend him? Or what's going on here? Why, why, is he, why is he not talking to me? I need to speak to him and get that answer. And of course, what happens is you then manage to get in touch with the narcissist because the narcissist allows that to happen. And you then have the conversation asking what's going on. And you will be given something which is plausible. Sometimes it, it, it does uh, stretch the imagination dependent upon the school of narcissists you're dealing with. But more usually, you're given something which has plausibility to it. And rather than examine it and cross-examine it and drill down and put it to proof, empaths more or less accept it at face value. Sorry, I didn't get in touch. I was in an area which had no signal. Oh, right, okay. And then later on, they go back and they look, but hang on a second, I can see that on WhatsApp, the messages were received and read. So he's just lied to me. Rather than then go, I've just been lied to, I shouldn't have anything to do with this individual any longer. He's lied to me. I need to find out why he's lying. You go back in. 
And every time that you come back, whether it's to tell us that you love us, whether it's because you want things to work, whether it's you want to try and get to the truth of what's going on, all of these things, all you're doing is walking back onto our battlefield and we will always win because we play by our rules, which change moment to moment. And you, when you're ensnared, don't know what those rules are going to be. And the only way you win this battle is by not fighting it. You don't enter onto the battlefield. But empaths are terrible at avoiding doing that because their emotional thinking is so strong. It, they lose insight. And you have a window of evasion during which you can either get out or avoid being sucked back in. But then that window will close. Why? Because the more you engage, the more your emotional thinking increases and you get dragged onto the narcissist wheel of misery, which I've written about recently on my blog. And you, what happens? Your emotional thinking goes up. It makes you engage more with the narcissist. What then happens? Your emotional thinking goes higher. You engage more with the narcissist. And round and round it goes. And you get drawn back in. And it'd be lots of different ways that you will get drawn back in. And empaths are highly susceptible to this. And therefore, it's a mission. When you realize that you've been ensnared with a narcissist, you don't allow your emotional thinking to go, what if he's not a narcissist? He is. You've been told that he is. Oh, but these behaviors don't quite fit. That's because of the different types of narcissists. If you're unsure, consult with me, and I'll put it beyond any doubt for you. Then, well, what if he can change? He, he said that he could. No, that's a lie. Well, what about, I feel guilty for leaving him. Well, you do, because you're an empath. But you need to push that guilt down. And the more you stay away from the narcissist, your emotional thinking will start to give up, and it gets easier and easier. It is hard. There's no denying it. It's like coming off a drug. If you're a drug addict and you want to stop taking a drug, it can be a slow, hard, painful, boring route. And there are two ways to make the pain go away. You can take the long winding road of conquering uh, the addiction to a manageable level and staying away from the very thing that's harming you, or you can take more of it. That makes the pain go away temporarily, only for it to return. And that's what people do because of that addiction to the narcissist. And we are similarly addicted. We're addicted to fuel. And so that's why it's a symbiotic relationship. The point is, recognize that you've been ensnared by a narcissist. Recognize that you've got an addiction. That addiction will never leave you, but it's certainly manageable. And it's manageable by the application of logic, which means stay away from the narcissist in all of those five forms that I've explained. Oh, uh, very, very important um, words there that you said, especially just to stay away from the narcissist, which I know can be difficult for people, mm -hmm. uh, especially because of the, now you had mentioned fuel. Yes. And from my understanding and experience, the more emotionally charged uh, someone is, if they're an empath or not, but if they're in a relationship with a narcissist, the more emotional um, uh, communication, hey, how come, you know, are you, are you seeing someone else? Uh, someone said that they've been, you know, uh, that they went out with you or mm -hmm. um, how come you're ignoring me? Why would you ignore me? All of those things, that is the emotional fuel Mm -hmm. that uh, narcissists live on, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's it, literally, and I had given the example earlier about it being an energetic vampire. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this fuel and how important it is uh, for the narcissist. Mm -hmm. Fuel and, and control are fundamental to us. Fuel is your emotional output. So if you smile at me, you've given me fuel. If you make me a cup of tea, that's a kind gesture. You've just given me fuel. If you shout at me and call me an utter bastard, you've given me fuel. There are, if you ooh and ah and say, ooh, that's great, during sex, you've given fuel. You buy the narcissist's birthday present, you've given fuel. If you're crying in front of him because of something he's done, you've given fuel. Any emotional response, gesture, words, tone, body language, facial expression, that is occasioned by our actions is fuel. So, if I put something on Facebook that's nasty about an appliance and they ring me up saying, why have you done that? That's fuel because their upset was caused by me. If that person calls me and goes, my dad's been really horrible to me, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, that's not fuel. I didn't cause it. I'm not interested. It's redundant. That, that, that's the fuel for your father. 
he may not be a narcissist, but that's not fuel for me. Your emotional output wasn't occasioned by me. So in such, certain, so in such an instance, what the narcissist would do there, because we don't have emotional empathy, we have cognitive empathy, we can fake it, in, uh, but not all narcissists can do that. It might be that it serves our interest to say, oh, I'm really sorry that your father's been like that. And you go, oh, thank you, HG. You're so kind and considerate. That's fuel for me because my kind words cause that reaction. Or that individual might be painted black and I'm not even bothered to give them any cognitive empathy. And I might turn around and say to them, well, I'm not surprised your dad called you that. You are lazy and useless. And they go, boo-hoo, you're being really horrible to me. That's fuel for me. I occasioned it. So fuel manifests in lots of different ways. There's positive fuel, which are uh, positive emotions, happiness, joy, love, delight, negative emotions, anger, frustration, irritation, hurt, upset, tears. We want both. And negative fuel is more powerful than positive fuel because it's harder to obtain. Within fuel, there are three aspects to it. Potency, frequency, and amount. Potency is based upon your position in the fuel matrix. So if you are what I call the intimate partner primary source, let's say husband or wife, very potent. If you're the guy in the kiosk selling newspapers and you're a stranger to me, you're a tertiary source. And there's primary, secondary, and tertiary sources. And I go into all of that in detail in the book Fuel. People can read about that there rather than me going to detail now. And so that's your potency. Then there's frequency. So if you send me one text message, that's a one-off hit. If you send me lots of text messages, I'm getting frequent fuel over the course of those messages. If we're in bed together and having sex for an hour, I'm getting fuel all through that hour. The amount, that depends upon the method of delivery. The largest amount of fuel that you give to us is in person. Why? Because there's all these different strands. If you're stood in front of me, uh, shouting at me and calling me all of the names under the sun, the language that you're using is negative, that's fuel. The tone of your language is negative, that's fuel. Your facial expression is negative, that's fuel. The look in your eyes is hatred, that's negative, that's fuel. And your body language, you're waving your arms around, you're clenching your fists, it's negative. And so even if you tried not to use a particular tone with me and tried to keep your arms still and tried to govern your facial expressions, the fact that you're still calling me bad words, you're still giving me fuel, and the look in your eye, you can't control that. And more, what normally happens is you have an emotional response before you can think about it and rein it in. So even if you try to limit your interaction, and this goes back to why I say grey rock doesn't work, you, you, your mouth will twist, you, you will frown before you can try and combat that. You will instinctively wave your arms around before you can bring them under control. Your voice will go up with the tone of annoyance before you can bring it under control. And so all of those strands contribute to providers with a massive amount of fuel. If you send me a text message, it's the written word, and all that's in there is the tone of what you have written. So if you put, dear HG, I think you're a complete dickhead, calling me a dickhead gives me a bit of negative fuel. If you just put, dear HG, I don't want to be with you anymore, there's no fuel there, and that would wound me. And it's an important distinction to make that when you have an interaction with a narcissist, you only have one of three types of interaction. The first is the provision of pure fuel, saying, I love you, pure positive fuel, or I hate you, pure negative fuel. The second interaction is wounding. Many people get this wrong. They think if they tear a strip off the narcissist, they've wounded the narcissist. They have not. If you ignore me, you wound me. If you forget my birthday, you wound me. If you don't pick up the phone when I call you, you wound me. If you don't call me back, you wound me. If you don't reply to my text message within two seconds, you wound me. And the, the variance of the wounding depends upon the proximity of interaction. You ignore me in person, massive wounding. You fail to respond to my text message, minor wounding. The third interaction, and this is the one that many people don't know about, is challenge fuel. Let's go back to the example of tearing a strip off the narcissist. If someone is shouting at the narcissist and saying he's a useless good for nothing, the anger, etc., is fuel, so that can't wound. But you're challenging the narcissist. Why? Because you're suggesting that he's something bad, that he's not as good as he is. Therefore, you challenge his grandiosity, his sense of entitlement. You might be saying to him, where the hell have you been? You said you'd be here at 8 p.m. 
for dinner and now you've turned up at 2 a.m. in the morning stinking of cheap perfume, booze, and you've got lipstick on your collar. You're trying to make the narcissist accountable. You're not allowed to do that. And as a consequence, you are challenging us. And it's like a little rebellion. And we have to put that down. If you give us pure fuel, there's no problem. We're in control. We're getting fuel. Everything's rosy in the garden of the narcissist. If you, if you wound us, you are threatening our control and you're not giving us fuel and you've wounded us. Problem. And this will ignite the fury of the narcissist, prompting a visceral reaction to get you to respond. Challenge fuel. You're giving us fuel, no problem, but your challenge threatens our control. We have to be in control of our environments at all times. Now, and then now, and then now. It's by microsecond to microsecond. And fuel is required because it tells us that we're in control of the situation. And it validates us. It makes us feel powerful. You don't give us fuel. We are made to feel weak. We are made to feel powerless. And we hate it. And the disconnection that if you, if you are someone who is surviving or has survived a narcissistic relationship, the very act of completely disconnecting, as you had mentioned earlier, um, wiping mm -hmm. them off, blocking them on your social media, mm -hmm. um, having zero contact with them, basically mm -hmm. wiping them out of your life and your brain mm -hmm. and your heart. When you do that, when you pull that plug, literally, and there is no electricity between the two of you, then they, well, they've already gone on and seeked other fuel, but then they will not be getting that fuel, they'll not be getting that energy, so then they are forced to go elsewhere, correct? Well, yeah. ultimately, yes. In the first instance, of course, because our mindset is, you belong to us. Yes. Okay? And that, that mindset remains until either we die or you die. But you belong to us. And therefore, if you have the audacity to try and escape us by no contact, if you, for example, are our primary source, you create a huge hole in our fuel matrix. And, we, and the easiest way to repair that is get you back in. So we will fight through what I call the initial Grand Hoover to draw you back in again. Now, if you have moved across the country, changed your telephone number, come off social media, your family and friends don't know where you are, we, can't, we, we just cannot get in touch with you. And therefore, we can't hoover you because it's impossible for us to have a conduit towards you. The problem that most people have with no contact is they will say, it's so hard, he keeps hoovering me. The reason is your no contact isn't good enough. If you make it so solid, we, we, can't, we just can't hoover you because we can't get through. I accept that sometimes it's very difficult to move elsewhere. However, brilliant as we are, we've not yet mastered the art of walking through doors and walls. If we turn up at your house, don't answer the door. The problem is you do. Go away, leave me alone. You've just given us fuel. Your emotional thinking spikes. You get drawn into an argument with us. Right. Or you shout through the window. Or you talk through the letterbox. Don't do it. Don't answer the door. Eventually, the narcissist will have to retreat because he's being wounded by you not answering the door and he has to go elsewhere. So when you first escape, the narcissist, if he or she can, will hoover you and hoover you hard. But if you put in place a solid no contact, we just can't do it. Therefore, we are forced to go elsewhere. It's similar to, imagine you're driving your car and it's low on gas. You pull up at a gas station. It's closed and there's nothing advertising when it's going to open. You can't park by the gas station because you're on a busy road and you're going to have to keep driving around the block. Do you keep driving around the block, wondering and waiting when it might open, on the off chance that it will, in order to put some fuel into your tank, which is dangerously low? Or do you go somewhere else where you know that it's highly likely or you know for a certainty that you can get fuel? You'll go somewhere else. So if you make it impossible for the narcissist to get fuel from you, the narcissist has to go somewhere else. If you make it very difficult for the narcissist, that most narcissists will go and choose the low-hanging fruit. Imagine you've got a tube of toothpaste. If it's full, it just takes a little bit of effort to squeeze that toothpaste out onto your toothbrush and away you go. If there's hardly any left, you've got to squeeze it from the rear and push it all the way forward. And in the scheme of things, it's not a massive amount of effort, but comparative to just giving it a gentle squeeze, 
relatively, it's a huge amount of effort. What you do, go and do, you go and buy the new tube of toothpaste instead. We're just the same. If you make it impossible or very hard for us to hoover you, all but the most determined of narcissists will go elsewhere. And when I say the most determined of narcissists, I mean the greater, and we are extremely rare. Most people will have been ensnared by a lesser or mid-range narcissist. You build those defenses, you will force the narcissist to go elsewhere. But the main reason why you keep getting hoovered is because people don't impose no contact properly. And it's understandable. Why? Because they don't understand the concepts, because there's too much misinformation out there or information that does not go far enough. And they're affected by their emotional thinking, which cons them into concepts such as, as I mentioned earlier on, she's my mother, I can't go no contact. Rubbish, you can do it. Might be difficult, you can do it. Or we can still be friends. No, that's emotional thinking. Or, well, we need to be able to sit together and, and show the world as, as a civil, uh, civil appearance for other people. No, you don't. Mm -mm. You have to do what's right for you. You can't control us, no matter what you think. And if you think that you can, that's your emotional thinking working once again. You obey that simple, I made it very simple, and it's the litmus test against which all your interactions have to be tested against. Am I thinking of doing something that will cause me to engage in the five ways that I mentioned earlier? If you are, you must not do it, and your emotional thinking is making you think that that's sensible. If you do those things, your emotional thinking has made you do it. Once you know, you go, you get out, and you stay out. Once you know, you go. And even when you go, there will be another tactic that the narcissist does that I, I am aware of is the when you have no contact mm -hmm. and they will also um, oh, just to get any trying to get any fuel at all, any remaining little drips and drabs. They will talk mm -hmm. to others about you. They will tell yeah. lies about you. They will yeah. say that you are the devil incarnate and you're crazy mm -hmm. and Oh my gosh, this person was doing all of these things again to seek other fuel, um, you know, from, from other, other people who are lending them the ear, their ear. Exactly and, right. Exactly right. Oh goodness, you poor thing, right? That's right. That's right. So the narcissist will go and get fuel from those other people, but also those are hoovers by proxy. Because flying monkeys? The, the, so we call them the flying monkeys, yeah? Well, indeed. I don't like that term. Uh, I, I use lieutenants or coterie, and it's usually a coterie was saying that uh, he, he really loves you and it's it's terrible he, he's, he realizes that he's made a massive mistake and what does that do it's interaction with the narcissist not direct but you're talking about the narcissist those people your emotional thinking will start to rise and salami slice by salami slice it gets you to a tipping point and you think well okay i'll sit down and talk with him i'll give you an example of how emotional thinking salami slices okay you've got no contact and it's been made easier because the narcissist disengaged from you and has gone off with somebody else. It hurts, but it means the narcissist is interested in them, not you. And you made attempts to ring the narcissist and text message the narcissist. He didn't want to know. You were persona non grata. And eventually you gave up. Eight months has gone by and you've not seen the narcissist. Okay. And you've not talked with the narcissist. Yes, you fall into the trap of maybe doing a bit of Facebook stalking and looking at pictures. So your emotional thinking is at a moderate level. But there's been no face-to-face -face interaction, no text messaging, no telephone. And you think you're doing okay. And it gets to Christmas time. Christmas arrives, and you suddenly think to yourself, I wonder what the narcissist is doing. Immediately, your emotional thinking wakes up. She's thinking about the narcissist. Let's keep this going. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if he's still with her. I wonder if he's treated her the same way as he did with me last Christmas, which was really wonderful. And you start the thinking. You start thinking. And then your emotional thinking, it rises. And as a consequence, you then think, well, I'll, I'm feeling a bit miserable now. I'm going to ring my friend. So you ring your friend and you say, oh, hi, Trisha. I'm feeling really down. Uh, it's just come back to me. I don't know where it's come from. I'm, I'm hard hit. I guess it's because it's Christmas. Oh, yeah, I feel really sorry for you. I still don't understand what he did. I thought he was the one. So, oh, so did I. And this well-meaning friend enables you to talk about the narcissist. The emotional thinking is rising all the more. And you're getting towards the dangerous tipping point. 
And all of a sudden, your resolve has become weakened because of your emotional thinking. And when you're in it, you may be listening to this thing, oh, I'll never get, I'll never go there. I'll never go back to that. Well, oddly enough, it happens repeatedly because I see it written about all over my blog and I hear it when I consult with people because that's what emotional thinking does. It slices away and it gets you from thinking and then moves you onto the talking. And then what do you do? You think, I'll just see what he's up to. And you go on his Facebook profile. And now you're doing the third thing, something occasioned by the narcissist. And you see that there aren't any posts about the new lady anymore. Hmm, interesting. Maybe they're not together. So you think about it all the more. And then you decide to send him a text message. Hi, how are you doing? Merry Christmas. Bing, phone goes. He's replied. Hi, great to hear from you. Merry Christmas. Text message. Number two, you're engaging with the narcissist even more. Text fly backwards and forward. And they're nice. Of course they're nice. You are now painted white. The person who replaced you is in devaluation. And your text message was a Hoover trigger. And it was nice and easy for the narcissist to text you back because you've not blocked him. So text messages fly back and forth. All of a sudden he rings and you hesitate. Logic is still trying to hang in there by its fingertips saying, don't answer, this guy's a narcissist. But you give in, emotional thinking's too strong. Hello? And the narcissist, hi, I thought I'd ring you. They'd rather keep text messaging one of this quicker. I just want to say, I'm really sorry for the way that I've treated you, it was awful. And I've learned my lesson and I've had a long time thinking about things and I just want to say, I'm sorry. Immediately, emotional thinking says, oh, wonderful. Recon he's, he's showing contrition. This is, this is what the empath wants. Give him forgiveness. He, he's realized that he's done wrong. Excellent. I'm being proved right. My truth seeker trait is coming to the fore. And, of course, all of this is going on unconsciously within the empath. And then the narcissist says, look, the least I could do is come and apologize to you face to face. Logic's still hanging in there. So you say... Oh, I'm not really sure that's a good idea. Look, I only want 10 minutes, says the narcissist. So you agree. Mm. The narcissist comes around, 10 minutes becomes half an hour, drinks are poured, you make him dinner, you end up in bed together. The next day he says, well, I'll see you around. And you text him the following day, say, it was great to see you again. I wonder when we can next meet up. No reply. You text him again, no reply. He's gone and done it again. And you think, how the hell did that happen? I was no contact or pretty much close to no contact. And that had nothing to do with him. And he's drawn me back in again. Your emotional thinking did it. It started off small with you thinking, and it took you further and further and closer and closer, and you lose insight. And I've seen it happen so many times. And that's why it's so important to ensure that you get that emotional thinking not down to a moderate level, but down to near zero. It's always going to be there slightly, but there's a whole range of techniques that I utilize able to all of that but the fundamental thing is don't spend time with the narcissist don't text message the narcissist don't speak on the telephone to the, the narcissist don't spend uh, your time doing things in and around the narcissist don't talk about narcissists with other people don't spend your time thinking about the narcissist yes it's hard but if you stop doing all of those things you've got to put the effort in in the same way if you want to lose weight you've got to get on that treadmill and avoid the donuts only you can do it i'll give you the best tools that are available you've got to wield them if you know, you must go. That is the that is the the the, the thing that I am hoping that most people get from this mm -hmm. HG tutor. It has been um, again an incredible uh, hour with you. I want to let our listeners know. In addition to your website, narcsite.com. That's N-A-R-C-S-I-T-E.com. Uh, they can find your work also on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram under. The title knowing the narcissist correct that's right yes all right well and i encourage folks to definitely check out the work that hg tutor is doing and how many people that he is helping although again he is a narcissistic psychopath he is helping quite a few people escape the the snare of the narcissist mm -hmm. and thank you again hg tutor for your time and for you're very welcome being my guest this hour and folks, I want to thank you for listening. Please make sure that you like and share this program as much as you can on your social media. Again, if you yourself are a victim of a narcissist, of course, it's important that you hear all three parts of this series. But also, I want you to share this because someone you may know uh, could very well be also a victim of a narcissist. Until next time, I want to thank you so much. And as I always say, remember to think outside of that damn box. Bye for now.